welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I'm your host, Emma Graney, and with me today we have Stuart Thompson. Hey. Hello. Paula Simon, silly column, city columnist. Hello, Emma. You're not a silly columnist. <laughs> Sometimes. Well, there are Sometimes. days. <laughs> Sometimes. And legislative columnist, Graham Thompson. Good morning. Uh, Stuart and Paula... You guys look amazing. You're wearing matching sweaters. <laughs> yeah. Completely by accident. I, I'm, I'm afraid that Graham did not get the memo about, yeah. the, about Actually, the matching sweater. <laughs> <laughs> so today is the Feel the Burn edition of the podcast. And that's why Stuart and I are wearing our lovely rust-colored sweaters. Oh, I see. Which, which you cannot see yeah, on the radio. but totally this is meticulously planned. planned. Mm, yes, we do plan this ever so well every week. Uh, so it felt only right to use a Jane Fonda catchphrase for this week's press gallery. I mean, I think a good chunk of folks felt the burn in Alberta politics this week, including Finance Minister Joe Sisi after he announced some not very public public consultations. I imagine Richard Starkey probably felt a little bit burned as well in Calgary the other night when uh, Richard Gottfried, his homie in the PC caucus, got up and said, hey, I'm supporting Jason Kenney for leadership. And of course, Jane Fonda herself, source of Feel the Burn in the 80s, aerobics, VHS tapes, oh, the memories got burned by uh, Premier Rachel Notley. Actually, let's start with Fonda. Stuart, you uh, you covered these. Yeah. That... So why was <laughs> why was Jane Fonda in Alberta this week? Uh, well, so she went to Fort McMurray and did the classic celebrity flyover of Fort McMurray. And she said it felt like her, I think her skin was being ripped off or something. Yes. And she looked at yes. the oil sands. Um, so then... Uh, that she, sounds really painful. It is an odd thing yeah. to say when you're looking at the ground. Um, but she came to Edmonton the next day for a press conference and a panel at the U of A. Um, she was actually delayed in Fort McMurray for six hours and stuck in the airport. I mean, they couldn't find her a hotel, which is a little odd. Um, but she was stuck there, and she said people were pretty hostile to her in the airport. Um, I think she took a lot of flack from Fort McMurrayites. And actually, her interview on CTV or CBC up there was interrupted by someone haranguing her. Um, but then she came to Edmonton um, and did a press conference and said uh, they and some indigenous leaders that were with her um, are calling for a halt to expansion in the oil sands. So her, she kind of had that, you know, cel- Rachel Notley came out and I think hit the nail on the head. She had that kind of celebrity grasp of facts where somebody had probably briefed her on this. And I think, you know, she's genuinely worried about climate change. I think a lot of us are. Um, but... In my piece, I tried to show the di- the distance between what she's saying and what the left-wing NDP government, who's brought a lot of climate change legislation, uh, what they're saying. Um, Jane Fonda is saying, we have to stop everything. No more pipelines, no more oil, no more fossil fuels immediately or we're done. And if you read the report that the government used to sort of bring about all these, it's the, the Andrew Leach report with a couple of other people, um, it's... It's an interesting distance there because he's saying, you know, there could be tens of trillions of dollars invested in oil and gas in the next 20, 25 years, and we could still be under the two-degree level that the Paris Accord calls for. Um, So that is what the NDP is gunning for. They say we can still develop the oil sands and meet our goals on climate change. People on the far left on climate change are saying stop everything. And what they're also saying, which I, I think doesn't really get addressed as much as it should, is that they tend to blame the producers. To them, it's the oil companies that are doing this. It's the oil companies who are ripping up the ground in Fort McMurray and making Jane Vonda feel like her skin is being ripped off. And it's not you and I who are using the product. And I feel like the NDP 
to their credit, are addressing the demand side of the thing with the carbon tax and not just blaming oil producers. Now, it was interesting. This Her visit came the same day as uh, something that maybe even yeah. overshadowed it a little bit. Uh, pipeline approvals. We yeah. love a good pipeline yeah. approval I mean, with, in Alberta, with, apparently. With Christy Clark saying that uh, in British Columbia, they're now on board, they have their conditions met, and, and they're now cool. I mean, we never needed Christy Clark's permission to build a pipeline. It's, it was never provincial jurisdiction. But having that uh, imprimatur from the BC Liberal Premier will will help. I mean, I, I feel... In a, in a peculiar way, although I, I don't really have much patience with celebrity tourists, I, I feel this pang of sympathy for Jane Fonda, who is the victim of very poor timing. If, you know, when James Cameron came, when others, you know, Neil Young came, when other celebrities came, um, there were conservative governments here provincially and federally. And so uh, when those governments pushed back, everybody said, oh, bad conservatives. So here comes Jane Fonda. First of all, she arrives in Fort McMurray, fire-ravaged Fort McMurray, where people are more than usually unhappy with this kind of, you know, drive-by celebrity um, stunt. Uh, It's been a tough year in Fort McMurray. But then, you know, Fonda is now making fun of Justin Trudeau and saying rude things about Rachel Notley. You know, don't trust good-looking liberals, she said about about <laughs> Justin Trudeau. Um, and of course... Isn't that just a lesson we all should take away? So, don't, I mean, less, don't trust good-looking people. I, that's my motto. Well, I, that's why I'm so, I have such a trustworthy face. Uh, so, but, you know, in some ways, it's an absolute gift to Rachel Notley and Brian Mason in the NDP because now they get to wrap themselves in the blue Alberta flag and be defenders of the oil sands and defenders of pipelines. And what Rachel Notley said uh, about dining out on her celebrity and not knowing all the facts, I mean, that's not really functionally different than anything that Ed Stelmack or Alison Redford or Dave Hancock or Ralph Klein ever said in defense of the oil sands. But when Rachel Notley says it, somehow it reads differently. I think there's a big issue here is the fact that the NDP is actually doing things that Fonda wants governments to do. Fonda went on about, we must be reducing emissions. We must be moving to green energy. And she gave no um, credit to the NDP government at all, which is trying to reduce emissions and move to green energy. So she was her narrative was taken from the old days, from the, when the conservatives were in power. And I think that uh, that's another reason why the NDP is getting frustrated with or got frustrated with her because they were supposed to have a sit down, a briefing with her. She didn't turn up. And then Greenpeace said, well, look, you know, we'll arrange it later on. It never, never came about. So she was never briefed. And the thing is, looking back at, at uh, celebrities, um, like James Cameron, when he came here about five and a half years ago, I covered that as well. He was remarkably well informed about what was going on. And he was not taking an all-or-nothing stance. He was actually a bit more nuanced, talking about the oil sands is an important resource that must be developed really carefully. He sounded a lot like um, Peter Lawhey, as a matter of fact. And I think that, um, and he actually met with Stelmack. He was briefed. He knew what he was talking about. Fonda didn't know what she was talking about. Her facts were out of date. And she was, I think she was there, she said, basically to amplify the voices of the First Nations, the Aboriginal people who are against development of the oil sands. But Paula is right that the timing was amazingly bad for her because within hours of her saying, you know, the oil sands are bad, pipelines are bad, yet the B.C. government saying it supports now the Kinder Morgan pipeline. 
And you're right, Paul, even though you don't need technically the B.C. government support, if you didn't have the B.C. Yeah. government support, that's a real problem. Also, I think what's happening here is um, Clark is positioning this issue, the pipeline issue, as an election issue. B.C. is heading to an election in May. So you're going to have her talking about development of the industry, development of um, their economy. You're going to have the NDP in British Columbia arguing against that. And you're going to have the NDP here, in a sense, supporting Christy Clark. And what's going to be really fascinating, you know, Graham referenced this whole idea of First Nations inviting uh, Fonda to amplify their voices, which is, I mean, it's a very colonial patronizing kind of narrative. You shouldn't need to import, you know, a, a white celebrity to amplify a voice. I listened to the audio of Jane Fonda's confrontation with uh, some pro-oil uh, sands folks in Fort McMurray, who were themselves First Nations, and were saying to her, you know, the Indigenous community does not speak with one voice on this issue. There are lots of Indigenous people in Fort McMurray who work in the oil sands. There are First Nations investments in the oil sands. It's not as simple as saying this is something that all Indigenous people oppose. And what's going to be really fascinating, I think, in the months and years going forward with the Trans Mountain Pipeline is how that narrative, that same narrative, plays out as the pipeline is built across British Columbia. Because you know, we've seen in Standing Rock how, how this can go very, very wrong. But there are all kinds of interesting negotiations that are going to be happening now with First Nations, uh, you know, from Alberta to the West Coast about how you get that pipeline built, how you get the buy-in, how you get to a point in negotiations where both parties feel that, that this is of benefit to the community. Now, I didn't, I didn't actually go to this, but when I felt as though Jane Fonda kind of because she, she was at Standing Rock and she was uh, an advocate there, I, I believe, I felt as though she kind of took that situation and then just has projected it on on the oil sands. You can't do that. <laughs> you can't just take one situation, project it directly onto another and think, oh, they're the same. She actually did reference that and she referenced the bad timing from a different perspective for her. She was saying... You know, it was minus 40. I wouldn't normally come here when it's in January. But we've got a lot of big fights back home, starting with the Trump administration. And so it was interesting to me for her actually saying, yeah, this is terrible timing <laughs> for her. It is in a few ways. Um, but she did reference Standing Rock very kind of glibly, just saying we don't need pipelines there. We don't need pipelines here. But the Standing Rock is interesting because that wasn't about stopping a pipeline. It was about moving it into a different area. So I and I think something that's also worth mentioning is that two out of three of the chiefs that spoke at the press conference weren't from Alberta. There was, uh, it was Manitoba, BC, it was Philip and Nipponak from BC, from Manitoba. Uh, and then Alan Adam, the Chippewan chief was there. Um, so I would hesitate to say that they were actually speaking for all uh, Alberta Aboriginals. And I think as Paul said, we did hear from that. So the message that Jane Fonda was saying that all oil sands production needs to halt isn't necessarily what everybody is saying. And especially even the chiefs at the press conference, that wasn't necessarily their message either. So uh, the Standing Rock thing, I think, is a good example of that because that was just about a different route for a pipeline. But I think, you know, the, the takeaway from this is it, it catches people like Jason Kenney flat-footed because it's hard to imagine what he can say that is a more full-throated defense of the oil sands than that which was offered by 
uh, Rachel Notley and, you know, Brian Mason on Twitter today. I mean, it is really funny to see people who you might have imagined would be on Team Jane Fonda uh, being first out the gate to lambaste her. And, and, and then, you know, where does that leave the conservatives in the wild rose? Because it, it's, it's hard to know what they could say that hasn't already been said. I was going to say a danger, sorry, quickly, a danger here by bringing Fonda, and even though she wants to amplify the voices of First Nations, it's it's a backlash now against those voices because people are equating the First Nations concerns with Jane Fonda. And I know that um, the best of intentions were were put forward here by Greenpeace, in a sense, best of intentions by helping Aboriginal people, but the Greenpeace, their ultimate goal is to shut the oil sands down. And that's a non-starter in Alberta. But having said all that, you have First Nations that have concerns, and they're now, of course, tied with the Hollywood celebrities in people's minds. Now, this may play well in the U.S. People look at us in in Canada, and Jane Fonda brought attention to the fact that Aboriginals don't like the oil sands, don't like the pipelines. That's very simplistic. That can help the Greenpeace's cause in in the U.S. It did nothing to help the cause of environmental activists in Canada by having her here. And to me, actually probably damaged the voices of the First Nations. And just briefly, Paul, you mentioned about how, uh, where does the Wild Rose and PCS go from here? I saw on Twitter, uh, as the whole Jane Fonda thing was unfolding, the, a couple of Wild Roses kind of going, well, typical NDP, none of them have weighed into this. Where are their voices? Why aren't they getting mad about it? Um, Sandra Jansen had just weighed into it. But, of course, then the premiers were like, kind of thing. So in the end, I, I don't know where they go from I'm here. sorry, the Premier did what again? I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Um, <laughs> Your amazing mimic. <laughs> but I, I think that was interesting that they sent Billis up at two and you, you and I were told, like, if you want to ask about Fonda, yeah. go to town. He's please the guy. Do. Yeah. So and he has not seen Barbarella. No. So he wasn't even a good person to have up for the Fonda interview. Right. <laughs> but And then, so that happened at two and then at 4.30, obviously there was the Kinder Morgan news, which brought Notley into the press conference in the first place. But that was also a chance for them to take another swing to make sure. And I was writing my piece at 4 o'clock. You sent me the quotes from Notley at, you know, 5 or whatever. And I said, this has to go in the piece because this is really good, like, yeah. colorful quotes. And I think that's what they were aiming for is just to hit us with as many Fonda bashing quotes as they can. Yeah, they were having fun. And it seemed to, to work. So going from Jane Fonda seems like a really good segue to going to the YMCA in uh, <laughs> no, in northwest Edmonton earlier this week. I think it was Monday. Fun to stay when, <laughs> when Finance Minister Joe Cece, who is wearing a bright orange cast right now because he's messed up his Achilles. See, don't, don't be fit, kids. No, running only hurts you. There's one lesson you take away from this podcast. Uh, no, that's not true. It's great to exercise, kids. Um, so he was out. He was up at the YMCA, and he announced public consultations. What was what was the big problem with these with these so called public consultations, Graham? Well, they were neither public nor consultative. Thank you. That's a real word. Um, so <laughs> the um, so he has this news conference to announce this uh, cross province tour. Yeah. that he will be talking to the public about their concerns, what they want to see in the provincial budget coming up later this spring. And the problem was we didn't really know much about these hearings or public consultations, but it turns out they're not public. They're, they're not, and the public's not invited to them. You get to go to them only if you get invited by the local NDP MLA. So this is not even really true cross-provincial 
consultations because they're only taking part in uh, taking place in writings that have NDPMLA. Now the thing is, and then so we asked, okay, fine. Um, so it won't be taking part in Fort McMurray, for example. Yeah, that, I thought that was an interesting. Yes, because there's no NDP MLAs, I believe, in Fort McMurray. I think Brian, Jean, and Tania would love to help out Joe. I think they would love to have their own hearings about you know, to give the government something to listen to. So they, then I found, okay, fine. Who's actually taking? Who will be invited? And I couldn't find out. They wouldn't <laughs> tell me who was being invited to these things. So what happened is finance. This is true. Finance officials said, "We want to find out who's going to be invited to these local um, uh, discussions, consultations. Talk to the local MLA." So I called the local MLA in Stony Plain, for example. That office put me over to the NDP caucus, and the caucus said, "Call Alberta Finance." <laughs> That's it, literally what happened. Been your partner round and round. Exactly. So what happened? Eventually, we started hearing. We've been hearing now from some of the NDP MLAs about who they're inviting. But you've got to make a lot of telephone calls and more or less beg to get a list. And so this is not public consultation. This is a lot like the PCs used to do and call it consultations. Now, at the end of the month, there will be a couple of telephone town halls where you can take part. And also there's going to be, of course, the ever uh, obvious way of going online. And there's a little box you can write a letter to the government on the Alberta Finance page 1,500 words and what you want to see in the budget, and this is public consultations. Of course, it's not. This is the government doing what the PCs did for decades, and that is give the impression they're consulting with the public, and then they go and do their own thing. I mean, it's always nonsense. I mean, even if they organized perfectly transparent public consultations that happened in every writing, they don't listen anyway. I mean, everyone knows this is all crap. What? Bola? I mean, What? I mean, why do why do we even go through the charade of the public <laughs> consultation? I mean, it, it's nonsensical. It's it's the worst kind of pandering populism, and they're not even doing it well. <laughs> bah, Such a cynic, humbug. Such a cynic. Uh, well, I think this is interesting, and the one thing that interests me the most is that there's no Fort McMurray. Uh, consultation, which is very odd. And I know this is a new thing because I remember they did one before the last budget. And I remember they did one before the last budget because my wife covered it and came back talking about what a train wreck it was. And well, like, that, <laughs> might, that might answer the question of why but, they're not doing that again. But it wasn't in a train wreck in the sense that everybody was screaming at them or something. It was that it was just so poorly set up. And I remember just hearing a story from my wife about how they had a live stream going on and they had a camera there for the live stream. And the questions from the people were coming from behind where the camera was. So when Premier Notley was responding to the question, she would look at the person, and then she would have to turn around back to the camera away from the person she was talking to, and it just sounded like (laughs) the most awful dynamic ever. And she got really irritated during that consultation and just stopped looking at the camera and looking at people. Um, So... I remember that vividly, and it is odd to me that this is sort of a new thing because I was doing a story on um, a very quick Christmas story that, you know, usually we just did it to check up on it, but the lone worker consultations after those two men were killed in the Max shootings, in the the convenience store shootings, um, just a quick little story. I talked to the minister, uh, Minister Gray, and I said, well, who were you consulting with? Who came down there? I'd love to talk to some of the industry partners and she said, "Oh, I couldn't tell you that. That's it's private." And I like I was working on about three stories at the time. It wasn't a fight I was willing to fight at that time. It was like Christmas Eve. Um, so, it, but it struck me as odd, and it does seem like that's the line now. 
and I don't know if that was the line before. So it's something to keep note of, to take note of, I think. But you know, how many how many rounds of consultation have we all sat in on? And I've done it with school boards, I've done it with you know, with municipal projects. You get people in a room and as a facilitator and sometimes there are snacks and everybody sits at these round tables and they write down little pieces of paper and the facilitator talks. And at the end of it, you feel like you were played, like you feel like you were there to be a prop in somebody's political theater. I mean, does anybody delude themselves that these public consultations, whether they're conducted by school boards or municipalities or provinces or the feds, actually have any impact on the formation of public policy? I mean, the budget is, you know, the budget's pretty much written, guys. I mean, nothing that you say at a town hall is going to make a blind bit of difference. Can I make a quick point? I was at a committee yesterday. And <laughs> Paul's head's like, about to explode, so yeah, <laughs> well, please do. Maybe I'm just not quite as cynical yet. Yeah, but. You, just haven't, you just haven't covered enough of these damn things. <laughs> but here's something to keep watch on. Um, so they're, they're doing a review of the Lobbying Act. And yesterday was just a very interesting committee because the ethics commissioner, Margaret Trussler, got up and said, we're not covering nonprofits with this. Uh, lobbying act. They don't have to register. They can lobby. They can do whatever they want. And the government and the Wild Rose too are worried that there's advocacy groups exploiting that. And so they're trying to cover nonprofits. But then all the nonprofits got up and made their pitch and said, look, this is going to kill us and made some pretty good points. And it did seem like they were saying Trustler and her office hadn't consulted them. They had no idea what the recommendations were until after they could put in submission to be at the committee and uh, they had some fairly good points and the committee did seem fairly open to that like it just seemed like genuinely they hadn't heard this stuff before yeah, but, that's, but that's different than yeah, a public so consultation exactly. that's yeah. different than yeah. a public i mean the public but, the public consultation where you get joe average off the street and now we're going to talk to real people mm. i mean i mean conservatives and ndp alike love to talk to real people so you get the real people in the room and and they're they're, they're puppets of the process that's that's different than doing consultative work with the experts in the field who actually know the thing and whose words might carry some weight. I mean, testimony at a public committee hearing is different than this kind of dog and pony show that the NDP are, you know, we're going to have private, you know, it's like it's like a uh, a public-private partnership. Uh, we're going to have pu- pu- public-private, uh, you know, P3 consultations uh, coming soon to a riding near you, but only if you voted New Democrat. And I guess the other thing is too. This is very specific legislation that affects those people directly. Yeah. But if you're talking about massive things that affect everybody in Alberta, do you want one schmo at a public consultation to affect that, or is it because there's millions of people in the province? I think it's it's worth getting your say, but. One person isn't going to sway and shouldn't sway policy. No, I, just, I, I completely support Paula's point of view on this. <laughs> um, my young friend, you, you cannot. <laughs> you Lucky cannot, we can't swear on this podcast. You cannot equate the two. Paula's right. You've been down this road so many times in this province where they bring people into a room and say, you're here to tell us how to do the budget. It's way different than the public hearings held by an all-party committee looking at something very seriously. But you have all the parties talking. And the thing is, i got to say, though, a bit off topic here, when the all-party committees work, it's nice to watch democracy in action. When they treat each other fairly and respectfully, they can get some really important work done. Of course, that did not work with that all-party committee on ethics, which went sideways. But most times when they work together, it's great to watch them work together. That's way different than what we saw with this budget dog and pony show that we've seen so many times in the past 
that really does go nowhere. And so just briefly, I want to move over to the PC leadership race. Uh, there is a leadership debate coming up on Sunday. Uh, last night, Jason Kenny had a town hall here in Edmonton. The night before, he had one in Calgary that about 800 people showed up to. There were about 500 people last night came out, despite the Oilers game. And the are, very cold weather. And the cold weather, that's true. People keep asking me this on Twitter, so I'll address it now. Yes, it was a diverse crowd. I don't know I didn't write that in because I didn't know that that was an important distinction to make. There are a lot of ethnically diverse crowd in there. There were young people, old people, all kinds of folks. Anyway. Did, did you get the feeling that people were there because they were Kenny partisans or because they were curious? Because, because I think it's interesting because people often equate the high turnout with support for Kenny, but I'd be curious to you know how many people just came because they they wanted to check out what was happening. I, I think it is probably half and half. I saw um, a good chunk of folks there who, I, uh, who I've seen at a couple of different events before. Um, I saw some of the folks from the Millwoods, <laughs> the famous Millwoods uh, delegate selection meeting. They were there. Um, but what was really interesting, there were a lot of questions actually from the floor because he did do a Q&A and people were asking, one woman said, look, I really, I think your idea is great. I'm on board with it because we can't face another NDP term. That seems to be the running theme. And then she said, which is I've heard this for the last number of months, but I really like Brian Jean. He's super popular. And if it's you versus him, I don't know who I would vote for. Yeah, that happened at the one in September too. Yeah. And his answer is, look, just vote for me now as leader of the PCs because this is the only way you'll get you'll get a chance to even get this whole unity thing going. So right now it's not me versus Brian Jean. It's unity versus not unity and it's another term of the NDP versus not is kind of the uh, the words that he's using. But Richard Gottfried got up and um, endorsed him in Calgary. So that's three MLAs <laughs> in the tiny little PC caucus <laughs> who, are, who are publicly supporting him now. Weirdly though... There were security guards at this thing. There were a couple of guys suited with little earpieces and they were checking everyone's bag. Everyone had to be signed in uh, and show ID to oh, get that's, in. That's unusual. That it was, did not happen in September. It was that, yeah, and I was on the road with him in the summer. It was very much a free-for-all. He'd stop and chat with everybody. And I asked him whether he'd had any specific threats and he just wouldn't say. I've never seen that in a, a rally politically in Alberta ever. Very weird. It, and that's what struck me is super super duper odd and then i asked um his team and they were like oh you know nothing specific but at some of these events you just want to you know be careful which i thought was really really strange so i don't know if there's something happening in the background here this has never happened before i'm thinking back to the rallies i've covered a lot of rallies in alberta Mm -hmm. politics over the years and i've never seen this kind of thing ever happen before they were checking everyone's bags wow Yeah. yeah Just like, everyone, oiler, just like an Oilers game. Just, uh, yeah, but without Connor McDavid. Looking for sneaky booze in their bags. You know, maybe. <laughs> well, yeah, I've seen it at the, the Folk Fest every year. Yeah. Uh, they, they Thankfully, they didn't check my bag. <laughs> but they don't check ID at the Folk Fest. Um, mm. That's interesting. Now, the thing is, people have been complaining. I've heard people complain that we haven't been covering the rallies by the other leadership candidates. And I wish there was another rally. Yeah, I haven't seen any. No, exactly. So the question right now is, is this a runaway for Kenny at this point? It's it's hard to gauge this because it's a a secret ballot and we haven't been covering all the... um, the uh, nomination meetings for the the delegates. Well, and the nomination meeting, I mean, as we've discussed before, after every nomination meeting, every candidate tweets, oh, yeah, I want all the delegates. (laughs) Clean sweep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So it's interesting. I think, though, Kenny is the best organized, obviously. He's having these rallies. He's getting his name in the paper. Mm Mm-hmm. 
which is all important, of course. Yes. Yes. Mm. Right. We are the wielders of much power. It is just from a really kind of, uh, I know often people don't like it when we talk about this side of it, but as a journalist covering Kenny, you can really see he's more organized. He's the type of politician you don't often see in this province, which is that he's just very professional. Like, he's very good at not answering our questions. And as a journalist, you notice that, and it's very frustrating, but you can kind of see how that worked, especially in Stephen Harper's government. They wanted a particular clip on the 6 o'clock news, and they knew that if they said too many things, that gave the news too many things to choose from, so they would stay very on message. Kenny, I think, is one of the best at that. And it's not just his personal discipline, but it's also his team. This is something more than I think we've seen in the last few years in Alberta. So I I think that is worth noticing, and it is worth noticing in how all these delegate meetings work. That's all about organization, and and he's the one who's got that. And what was interesting last night as well, um, he made a real point of saying a couple of times, you've never heard me personally say anything against Rachel Notley. I respect her, and I respect her, her role, and we need to be respectful of each other. It's the only way that this will be an actual you know, discussion. Can I briefly promote my piece that I wrote on the weekend? Yes. Uh, <laughs> please, please do, because it, it was an excellent really? piece. <laughs> well, so this is sure. a piece. Sure, throwing a plug. Yeah, so <laughs> this is the piece you absolutely should read after this podcast finishes. But it is, it's about prejudice, and it's about, you know, the kind of things that happen at rallies. And uh, I contrasted the locker-up chant that Chris Alexander, the conservative leadership candidate, conducted. Kind of, just kind of smiled and did a little conducty thing with his hands. Uh, and then Jason Kenney, who I saw at a speech in September, shut down a lady who was trashing Muslims. And Kenny's a former immigration minister, and he has, as we've seen, very diverse crowds at his rallies. I saw people comparing Kenny to Trump on Twitter, and that just couldn't be further from the truth, because Trump is very seemingly anti-immigration and anti-foreigner in general. Kenny is very proudly not like that. Um, So the piece was about how do politicians shut down prejudice. And Kenny, I I actually sent Kenny's quotes to a psychologist and got him to analyze it. And he said, that is about as perfect as you can get in creating a norm where prejudice isn't allowed. And Kenny, I think, probably knows this. And I think it is something that is politically worthwhile for him to do because every time someone blurts something stupid out at a rally... His clip for the 6 o'clock news is now not what he said. And so uh, there's a self-interest there. But I think it's hard to know these things, but it does seem to me genuinely something he cares about. I thought it was really interesting this week. Ahmed Hussein, who's the new federal immigration minister, um, Somali-Canadian from Toronto, um, uh, former head of uh, the the Somali-Canadian Association or Somali-Canadian Congress. Um, So liberal, Muslim, Somali, is appointed immigration minister. And Jason Kenney was right out the gate on Twitter saying, congratulations to my friend, Ahmed Hussein, who's a great pick as immigration minister. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Uh, Especially at a time when we're looking at things that are so toxic south of the border. There's no political upside for him there. Like, that's not something he has to do for a personal benefit. Although, maybe there is a political upside because I retweeted it and said, hey, look at at how classy Jason (laughs) Kenny is. So, you know, I I thought it it is interesting strategically and also a tribute to the degree of discourse that, you know, I mean, it's easy to bash, to bash Kenny as, you know, the, as, as Trump, as Trump North, 
but I, I think that's a, a facile. I mean, there are all kinds of issues in Kenny's political history on social conservative issues with which I take uh, great exception, including his attempt to ban women who wear uh, the niqab from taking the oath of citizenship. So it's not that Kenny gets a free pass from me on these issues, but I thought you know, his approach is far more nuanced than that of some of the yahoos who, you know, see, you know, who who imagine him to be a fellow traveler when he just isn't. We've seen Kenny do this several times now, come out really quickly to quash um, either anti-immigrant comments or anti-woman comments. We saw when Brian Jean made that stupid comment, he realized, you know, about it's illegal to beat the premier. He knew right away he made a mistake. He apologized and tried to apologize. He got hammered. But Jason Kenney came out the following day and released a statement about, you know, we should respect each other. And and he was defending the premier and basically slamming or at least criticizing Brian Jean. And so that helps the narrative that Kenny's trying to raise, that he's more open and um, uh, understanding of these issues than someone like Brian Jean is, because he knows down the road he'll be likely be fighting a leadership race against Brian Jean. Just briefly, last, I think it was late last week, the NDP caucus sent out a press release saying Jason Kenney needs to explain where he stands on climate change because he said this stuff in an interview. I thought that was really, really odd. A, they obviously see him as enough of a threat to bother doing that. But B, essentially right now, Jason Kenney is an unemployed guy driving around Alberta in a truck. Like... You know, why are you legitimizing him, NDP caucus? I, I thought that was an interesting move. Uh, now, Stuart, you've already given us a self-plug. However... <laughs> <laughs> I've got other stories people can read. <laughs> I want to move to our regular segment, uh, Good Stuff from the Gallery. So, Stuart, do you have anything else? That people <laughs> and, and anything that you didn't yeah. write? Uh, well, I'm <laughs> no, sure I can think of something. Uh, uh, well, I think the best piece you could read this week is, uh, especially for Albertans or people in BC, is the inside story of the Kinder Morgan pipeline approval by uh, our post media colleague Peter O'Neill. Um, so it's kind of the nitty gritty of what goes on when these things happen. And uh, if you kind of had this idea that it's just the NEB giving a nice neutral recommendation, you might uh, not believe that anymore. Pull it. There's so much Trump this week. <laughs> so, so, so much Trump. I, I really hadn't noticed. So Nothing much happened Trump. with Trump this week. No. But I, I, I'm going to break with my rule in which my rule was not to recommend anything that had to do with Trump. <laughs> that but, rule stood for like a week. <laughs> that was, it was two weeks. It, more if you count the Christmas break where I recommended nothing. <laughs> but I thought one of the most fascinating pieces I read this week out of all the craziness in Washington was a piece um, on Haaretz.com, which is uh, you know, an Israeli uh, progressive news website, talking about the fact that um, uh, there's discussion that Israeli intelligence doesn't want to share what it knows with the Americans anymore because they are afraid that if Israeli intelligence agents share their information with the Americans, the Americans will pass that information to the Russians who will pass it to the Iranians. And the piece talked about how this is going to be a totally new era in American-Israeli relations, despite the fact that you've got people in the Trump administration who look like pro-Israel hawks. If the Israelis don't trust the Americans not to shop them out to the Russians, uh, that uh, Americans will be cut off from Israeli intelligence about the Middle East. And I thought, wow, okay, 
So, wow. uh, yeah. So give give that a read and just add it to the list of all the other things that are going to keep you up at night. Hooray! That list isn't at all long, and I don't have to not think about it every night before I go to sleep. <laughs> um, I'm just going to quickly recommend a piece by my very talented colleague Yuri Graney. <laughs> Any relation? <laughs> no, not at all. Not my husband. Um, yeah, yes. He's pretty handsome. He can also wrote a really great piece uh, about one of the leading Arctic scientists. So he called the continued lack of a national polar policy, quote, an embarrassment and frustrating. And it's a really interesting piece talking to this guy. And also it mentions scurvy. So covers all bases as far as I'm concerned. Graham. That's a tough act to follow. I know. Well. Um, I'm not mentioning Trump. I am mentioning Obama. I sent you a link already on this. This is a speech he made yesterday uh, thanking Joe Biden. Oh, it's so lovely. It is. And it's a wonderful speech that Biden gave thanking Obama. The point of the speech is that there's a link there to the actual transcript is this president can make can do really good speeches. This is an example of a good speech. Probably the last one we may hear from him because a week from now we'll have a new president. We, they, 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 you they, said we. they. Well, I guess in a sense, uh, it's kind of hard no, to. No, no, I. You know I, what I'm I mean, right? I'm making a joke about the stuff yeah. that came up okay. with Russia. It's just showing you, maybe for the last time in a while, a well-crafted presidential speech, really well delivered. And on that uplifting note, thank you all for joining me. Uh, Stuart, Paula, Graham, and Mr. Bloom, thank you for being here to film some of this and put up on edmontonjournal.com. Where you Thank can, you, David. Where you can find uh, all our previous episodes of the Press Gallery. You can also subscribe to SoundCloud, iTunes, and TuneIn Radio and uh, get an episode every week, you lucky, lucky people. And, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, and I hope you join us again this time next week and the Press Gallery.